This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? Let me tell you. It's a delicious, sugar-free, electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. With a variety of delicious flavors, you are guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt, while my favorite is grapefruit. We keep a variety box in the office, and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice or games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another product, and I am replenishing our supply on a weekly basis. Without amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first order, Element is giving us a 150% commission. That means if you spend $100, we get $150 to keep this podcast running. The best deal you can get is to buy an insider bundle. You buy three boxes, you get one free. And if you click our affiliate link, drinkelement.com slash justinclimo, we will get a commission and you will get a free sample pack with every purchase. Last thing, Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you will be instantly refunded. Let's talk about sleep for a minute. I've had a terrible time getting productive rest and sleep for the last few years. And since poor sleep can lead to all sorts of health problems, I'm constantly on the hunt for a better night's sleep. Recently, I came across a new product called Beam Dream, which has delivered the best sleep I've had in a long time. The first time I tried it, I fell asleep on the couch within a half hour and didn't wake up until the next day. Since starting my new routine with Beam, my sleep performance has improved significantly according to both my Aura Ring and Whoop Band. Yes, I use both at once because why not have more data? If you are interested in upgrading your sleep, I invite you to try Beam Dream. Today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, their best-selling healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious seasonal flavors like cinnamon cacao, sea salt caramel, and white chocolate peppermint. Better sleep has never tasted better. A recent clinical study revealed that 93% of users wake up feeling more refreshed and 93% reported that Dream helped them get a more restful night's sleep. If you're looking for a way to get some rest and you have trouble sleeping, I highly recommend this product. If you want to try Beam's best-selling Dream Powder, take advantage of their biggest sale of the year and get up to 50% off for a limited time. When you go to shopbeam.com contacts, Discount auto applied at checkout. No code is necessary. That's shopbeam.com slash contacts for up to 50% off. If you're a longtime listener, you might know that I've been drinking AG1 for a couple of years. If you're not a longtime listener, then know that I drink AG1 on a daily basis. When I first started drinking it daily, I could feel a real difference in my daily health. I had more energy. I felt more relaxed. I could focus better. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. 
Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter and better way to elevate your baseline health. I recommend AG1 to all of my family and friends because it has worked so well for me. So much so that my two eldest children have become regular users of the product. My daughter who has been studying abroad recently asked us to bring her more product when we went to visit her at Thanksgiving. My other daughter who's a freshman in college regularly contacts us to make sure we send her more product. AG1 has been transformational as it has replaced all of the needless ramekins of vitamins and minerals that I used to take. If you really want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com contacts. That's drinkag1.com contacts to order your own supply and start on your journey to better health. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to the Contacts Coaching Podcast. We are joined today by Don Mayu Smith. I got it right that time, didn't I? You did. Who is the assistant athletic director at the Mansfield Independent School District, which has five high schools, seven middle schools, and they oversee everything from the district office, and she'll get into that. But, Coach, welcome uh, to the pod. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about the opportunity. Great. Let's dive in. Why don't you take us through your background and how you got into interscholastic athletics, shall we say, going all the way back to high okay. school, college, and how you landed your first job and subsequent uh, moves from there. Awesome. So I grew up, I was actually born in California, born in San Diego. My dad was in the Navy, born there, but we moved to Texas right before I started kindergarten. So I've been in Texas ever since. Grew up in a small rural area in Texas called DeLeon, Texas. And in DeLeon, we had less than 3,000 people in our hometown. So you did a little bit of everything when it came to sports participated in all sports that we offered at the high school level, a little bit of club softball, those kind of things. And from there, I went to college at Tarleton State University where I played basketball and started making my first connections in the coaching world. Jan Lowry was my coach there. Had gotten connected over the years to um, Debbie Weems, who coached in DeLeon and who eventually became the AD in Mansfield and um, another coach that was there that coached me a little bit, Samantha Morrow. And when I graduated from Tarleton, I took my first job at a small town near Waco called Grosbeck, Texas. And I, I coached 
and taught some English there, did a little middle school coaching. And in my second year, reconnected with Coach Weems as the AD in Mansfield and Coach Morrow, the head girls basketball coach in Mansfield, and started my journey of in Mansfield ISD. And that was 26 years ago. 26 years ago, I came to Mansfield, um, had an opportunity to coach at the high school level. I was an assistant coach, assisted in basketball and volleyball, and um, had the unique, wonderful experience of being on a staff and a part of a program who won four straight state titles in girls basketball. Um, and at that time, Mansfield ISD, we were a one-horse town, one high school, Mansfield High School. And after my fifth year there and after our fourth state championship, we added our second school, Summit High School. And the unique story about that is that Mansfield ISD has about 11 different zip codes in it. And whenever they got ready to open another school, they wanted Mansfield High School to have a Mansfield address. So they converted the school that was Mansfield High School to Summit High School. And then they built a new school in Mansfield, which is our now standing Mansfield High School. I stayed on staff with Coach Morrow. We stayed at the building where we won four state championships, but we took on a new name, new mascot, new colors, watched them come in and take the trophies and the memorabilia down the road to the new Mansfield High School and started new traditions there at Summit. And I was with her there for four years before I branched out and I took my first head job, went up to McKinney for a few years and opened a brand new school up there, McKinney Boyd High School. I was there for three years, the first three years of opening that school. Then I came back down south to um, Grand Prairie Independent School District, where I was the head coach and campus coordinator of South Grand Prairie High School for four years before I made it back to Summit. Came back to Summit, took over the program there after a while, and then Six years ago, got the opportunity to move into administration as assistant athletic director and um, just still here in Mansfield. And through all of that, we added three more high schools, added some more middle schools. And now we are a multi-school district with five high schools and seven middle schools. That's a lot. I'm still trying to wrap <laughs> my head around what we talked about offline. So I'm going to ask you to educate me again on wax here about the structure of the district out here in california <clears throat> where you were born <laughs> before you moved to texas essentially there's a athletic director at every site and then if a school district has enough high schools so like the first district i worked in in sacramento the san juan district had nine high schools so there was a district athletic director but then there was a site athletic director who was responsible for running their site Yet you say you have coordinators. So talk a little bit about the structure of the school district and how that's set up. So in our um, central admin area, we have an executive director of athletics, a director of athletics, an assistant athletic director, and then our district trainer or director of sports medicine. So that's the four of us and we make up the central office of the athletic department and we oversee our five high schools and our seven middle schools. At each high school, we have what are called campus coordinators, a male and a female head coach. Right now, the way that we have it set up, those positions are tied to our 
our head football coach and our head girls basketball coach at each campus. And they work together to manage the campus with our guidance and with us overseeing them. And then we also have our seven middle schools where we have a a boys coordinator and a girls coordinator at each middle school. And they basically, they do a little bit of the same, but it is a little different. They teach classes at the middle school. Our high school coordinators, they run their athletic period, which is our unique thing that we have here in Texas because we have athletics in the school day as a period. And so they are in charge of their athletic period for their sport. But then the other classes of the day, they are an administrator on campus. So they're evaluating other programs. They're taking care of things on campus. They're helping deal with things that we trickle down when it comes to projects or transportation, budgeting, managing boosters, and that kind of thing. Talk to me a little bit about what you call an athletic period during the day. So what does that look like? How do you navigate that around the schedule in regards to students that are on a particular team one season, but maybe not the next season? Like, how does all that work? Because that's another thing that's fascinating to me. I know it, it exists out here in certain places, but it's not the norm. Each of our sports has an athletic period. So volleyball has an athletic period, girls basketball, boys basketball, football, softball, boys and girls soccer, baseball, golf, tennis. They all have an athletic period. We do try to spread those out throughout the school day just to help manage facilities. And also um, because we have a designated strength coach on each high school campus to work with all the sports to also be able to help manage his schedule where he's working with different sports at different times throughout the day. Uh, The students will choose their athletic period. Um, If it lines up, let's say you have a young lady who does volleyball and softball, and those are both the last period of the day. So in the first semester, they would be on the volleyball roster and attend volleyball class. And then in the second semester, they would they could change over to the softball class and be on the softball roster so that they could participate in either sport or what if that period is a different period if it's a different period typically they choose their athletic period and they stay in that period for the school year and then anything else that they want to do they can do before or after school depending on when the practices line up so Most of the time, our high schools here, three of them are 6A, which are the largest division in Texas, and then two of them are 5A. We probably see our 5A schools share a few more athletes than potentially our 6As, but a lot of times it's like volleyball track, basketball track, volleyball, soccer, volleyball, softball. Those tend to marry together well. But typically, those athletes are going to choose what they call their primary sport, and they're going to be in that athletic period so that they can go through an off-season, they can go through strength training, they're locked into that sport, and then they would do anything else that they're interested in outside of the school day. Got it. Okay. So basically, the bigger your school is, the less multi-sport athletes you tend to have. Typically, and what we see here in, in our Metroplex area, kids are just starting to specialize so early. And they, they're deciding by sixth, seventh, for sure, eighth or ninth grade, what they want to do or where they feel like their passion is. And they get locked into that one thing. And then when you in, bring in the outside influences, which are the club and the AAU sports, 
if they're very locked into their sport, it makes it even more difficult for them to play another sport because those seasons go around the high school season. So when they're out of their high school season and they're being committed to their club or their outside season, it makes it hard for them to participate in another high school season. Got it. Let me ask a follow-up that's going to put you on the spot. How do you feel about that shift from the majority of our athletes being multi-sport to them? I'm going to say getting forced to specialize at an earlier age. Yeah, I think it's really difficult. I I lived it with my own daughter. I have a daughter who's 20 years old and she um, attends a division two college here in Texas and plays soccer. And she, as her parents and with my background, I worked really hard. She played volleyball. She played basketball. She played soccer. She did all of those things through her freshman year of high school. Her freshman year of high school by April or May, my girl was exhausted because she was in a sport from first week of August until soccer season ended in March. And then she was also playing club soccer around all of that. And because I was her mom and I was the coach, I was able to navigate scheduling for her, but not everybody has that luxury, so to say. And it becomes really difficult. And I think for the parents and for the kids, it takes a lot just to be committed to be all in for one sport. So if you try to spread yourself to be all in on several, it's hard. So I, I understand from that perspective as to why I just wish it wasn't happening so soon. I wish that there were more opportunities and more people in the club or the outside world that encourage them to maybe have a shorter club season and participate in other things longer. My daughter did end up specializing her sophomore year of high school. I was a head basketball coach her freshman year and she played volleyball. She came and played basketball in my program. And then she went on to play soccer at our school. I got this job that I have now late in April. And I can remember we were in the car and I was dropping her off to go with some friends to watch a friend in the state soccer tournament. And I was going to work like an area track meet. And I got the call that I got this job. And I said, stepped out to make, take the call and called my husband and then got in the car to talk to her. And it wasn't like within 10 minutes that she was like, mom, I love you, but yeah, I'm only playing soccer from now on. I can't have another year like this year. And if you're not coaching anymore, like I'm not doing it. And and I get it. Like I, th- I thought about our schedule and I thought about what her schedule was like. And I was like, I I get it. I understand. I think it's, we're probably never going to go back to that place in sports where you had the kids that were able to do so much. But I do know here in Texas and rural areas and in some smaller settings, it is still possible. And a lot of kids are able to do more than one thing. And I think that's a positive. Yeah. Smaller schools like us rely on that still. And so ultimately I feel like I'm often banging this drum uh, against the rest of the world that is emphasizing multi-sport athletes. And it's always interesting to talk to people that are at a different place. And like you said, you would prefer if they could, but ultimately the world is is aligning against them. It is what it is. Let me ask this question. So you were a site coordinator and head coach before you went to the district office. So as you became a head coach, because you were an assistant, then you took a head job on your own. What are some of the things right off the bat that you realized you needed to figure out that as prepared as you were after rattling off four straight state championships, 
when you move over 18 inches, it's a different job. So what are some of those things that you can offer as you, you stepped into that role? I think one of the things that when you get that first head job, when you move over from assistant to the, the buck stops here type person, is all aspects of the program that you're managing. So you're Now you're managing the staff and you're needing to be organized and prepared and lay out expectations, not just for your program and for your athletes, but also for your staff. And so I think I was fortunate that I had really good mentors that taught me how to do those things. And so I think that was a component that I thought I was really prepared for, but it was not until you get into that seat that you're like, oh yeah, I didn't think of that. Or yes, you need to be mindful of they, they have a family or they have this, or what does the schedule look like? Communicate enough ahead of time so that they're prepared and that they can take care of their business. And then also as an assistant, you're typically assisting the head coach and you're maybe in charge of your own team. Now you're in charge of four teams at four different levels. And so you're looking at varsity, JV, freshman A, freshman B, if you're at a big enough spot, maybe a sophomore team or JV two. So now big picture okay, here's what we have this year, depth chart, looking on to next year, how we're developing preseason, during season, off season, some of those things that I think maybe sometime as an assistant, you maybe don't look that deep into it because you're just focused on in the moment and supporting your head coach and taking care of your individual task. And then, and I really think the biggest thing is like having a big picture view. And that's what I learned becoming a head coach and becoming a coordinator and also becoming an assistant athletic director is I think sometimes as coaches and, and different individuals, we can just get tunnel vision on just our individual sport. Like what we maybe something that we want to do specifically for our sport, but we don't maybe look at how that impacts the whole campus. And if girls basketball is doing this, how does that affect volleyball or how does that affect softball or how does that affect track? And so I think that would be the one thing that I would say is that you really have to do is you have to change your lens and you have to have a little bit more of a big picture. You have to think about your principal and their view of how they see and what they see for their department on their campus. And then how does that work with the overall athletic department? And how do you tie those two things together? So I would think those were the two biggest things. Well, let me peel back the layer of that for a second. So you use the term that you can't just have tunnel vision on your program, basically. And... Most head coaches in a sport, that's what they're doing, and that's what they should be doing. And when you're wearing two hats as the coordinator or the assistant AD and the coach, you are thinking about these other impacts. What would you say are things that coaches who aren't yet in that athletic department role, but they're still coaching their team, what would you offer them to help them develop that awareness that ultimately will benefit them when they get out of their own way a little bit and having tunnel vision. A lot of it, I think, is like conversations and relationships with other coaches on your campus. Like, how do you work together? How do you support one another? Are, are you at their games? Are you making connections with them, with their athletes? Are you paying attention to what's going on in their programs also? And, and seeing it may be where you're having an issue in your program 
let's say with young ladies, like you're having an issue with a certain thing, whether it's a trend or whether it's something with monitoring social media, that coach down the hallway may be dealing with the same exact thing. But if you guys haven't developed a relationship and you're not paying attention to what's going on in each other's program, you may never open up the opportunity to have that conversation and to help each other, to bounce ideas off each other and to support each other. And then also be able to consistently handle something that maybe is turning into an issue on your campus so that there's one common goal coming out from the entire athletic department because you're working together and you're in touch with what's going on in each other's programs. Without throwing people under the bus, is there a success in doing that that you can talk about and a failure? Yes. So I'll go back to my very first head coaching job was at McKinney Boyd High School in McKinney, Texas. And at the time, that was back in like 2006. So I'm going to age myself a little bit. I was in my uh, mid-30s, but I was the oldest head coach on our campus. We were a brand new school out of the volleyball, softball, track, cross country, basketball coaches. We were all first-year head coaches. And our campus coordinator, our leader, he had actually been at the district at another high school and he was the head soccer coach, but we were all females and we were all younger. It was all our, it was our first gig. We also fortunately shared an office space. So we all office together and had a common office space. I can honestly say that the success in that for us was that None of us had any qualm about asking each other questions, running ideas off of each other, trying to make sure we're all trying to start our programs off on the right foot. We're, we all came from different places. Most of, none of us really knew each other except for two before we got there. And so we were all brand new. And so we had success in the fact that we banded together and we were like, we're going to get this place going and we're going to start things off on the right foot. We're going to, we're going to talk regularly. We're going to meet regularly each week. We had either coffee time or we had lunch and we got together and we just talked about things that were going on and that we would ask each other, this is what I'm doing. How are you handling that? this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think? And we would just have the opportunity to bounce those ideas off. And it worked really well. I'm trying to think of a time when maybe that didn't work so well. well. I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. Okay. Given that you were all new and you're sharing ideas and now you're at a, a spot where you're at the district level, but you were campus coordinator long enough. What are some of the things that you can offer that given your experience of being engaged with different teams and programs, that you've been able to steal and offer to other coaches and say, hey, look, I know that it's not your sport, football coach, but I was just watching the tennis team do X, Y, and Z, and you might want to consider it because here's the impact it had. Are there a few of those that you've come up with over the years that have been so transformational? You're just like, hey, this isn't my thing, but I, I watched this group do it, and everybody should consider this. Yeah, there's a few things. I, I would say before we were really locked in with a full-time strength coach, I would say a lot of the areas that I really watched other sports were what they did in off-season, how they trained. I did take a couple of different things from our football program in McKinney that I was able to bring with me when I went to South Grand Prairie because we didn't have a strength coach there. 
And then when I came back to Summit, I brought it with me there before we got our full-time strength coach. And I shared it with the volleyball program and with the other programs that were involved. Also, just little things, a lady that I worked with my very first years at Mansfield back in the day, who was amazing, just organizing, put together a system for inventory that was so easy on a spreadsheet and how to track everything and get it typed in. And so I've kept that over the years. I converted it in Google and Google Sheets. And I've been able to share that and offer that up to new head coaches, to new campus coordinators at the middle school, because they're in charge of the inventory of all their sports. And so things like that, that I, the little tidbits that I've grabbed and have just been able to pass on to, uh, to people that I work with or come in contact with. Anything that is less logistical and more culture related, meaning oftentimes certain programs have cultures that transcend the team for that year and their habits or processes that exist that, that help them build that. Anything you've discovered over the years that you could offer up in regards to these are some really good things that help accomplish that task? Absolutely. We have a, a football staff, a, a head coach and a staff in, in our school district right now that has, in my opinion, one of the best cultures that I've ever been around and that I've ever been able to work with. And they just, um, it's a family atmosphere. Uh, their motto is every day, every day they're doing everything that it takes to support each other, to take care of each other. There's accountability um, it's how you walk in the hallway. It's how you go into the class. It's where you sit. It's how you take care of your grades. It's how you leave the area where you eat lunch. It's how you come out and support the volleyball program on Tuesday night and sit together and cheer. It's how you come out during basketball season when your season is over. It's how they get together and they cook burgers and hot dogs and go out and support softball and baseball. And it's one of the best cultures that I've been around in my years that I've been doing this. And it's one that I share with anybody that asks culture questions. I always direct them to look at this program and direct them to see the things that they do and also pass on um, what I know about it to share. Love that. Thanks for sharing. If you were to go back to being a program lead after being at the district level and knowing and seeing everything you've seen now after years coaching and teaching. And, and now you've had a few years off where you haven't directly been running a team, I would imagine. What are the things that you would take with you based on what you've learned in your current role? I think what I've learned in my current role that I think a lot of people are a little bit wary of when they become a head coach is the relationship with the parents and being able to listen, be open-minded to parents. And at the end of the day, usually when a parent comes to a coach or when they have a question, you just have to keep in mind their pride and joy are their kids. They love their kids. They care about their kids. They want what's best for their kids. And everybody has a different idea of what that is. I think in this role, I've been able to sit and listen to some parents in some different situations and be able to gain a better understanding on how forging that relationship as a head coach of the program 
meeting your parents early, getting in front of them, getting them in your space, having regular meetings, getting them on board, asking them for help and volunteering and just forging a relationship where you really do have an open door policy where you can have conversation and you can talk about and answer their questions where you're approachable to them. And that doesn't mean that they're going to come in and be able to demand playing time or this or that for their kid. But approachable in the sense where if they have a question or they're not sure what's going on in your program, that they feel comfortable asking it and you feel comfortable giving them an answer. And I think that is one of the biggest things that, because it can affect your culture of your program for sure. It can also affect how in touch you can be with your kids because your kids are going home to their parents every night and what they're listening to on the car ride home or what they hear from the bleachers or at dinner or whatever, those are their parents and, and they're hearing those things. If as the coach, you take into consideration that it's, it's a triangle, it's you, it's the kid, and it's the parent, and you have to make sure all three sides of the top tri- triangle are connecting and that you're forging that relationship, I think that is one of the things that I would take back and that I would do e- even better than what hopefully I did the first time. So do you have some trip? excuse me, do you have some tricks and techniques that you would offer to accomplish that for people that are just getting into this and have no idea what you're talking about? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, it would be a schedule a parent meeting early. Our school starts in August here in Texas, mid-August. And within the first couple of weeks, I would just have an informational meeting in the evening and invite all the parents of the kiddos that are in my program or who plan to come try out for basketball when basketball season rolls around. And I would just have an informational meeting. I would get in front of them. I would tell them a little bit about the program. I would share my information. I would share practice calendars. I would share anything that I have and just start there. Then I would put out maybe like a weekly newsletter. Just a little something that says, hey, this is what we're doing in practice this week. Volleyball game is on Tuesday. We're trying to get all the girls to come to support volleyball Tuesday night. Big football game next Friday. We're going to work concessions. Can anybody volunteer? Or there's a homecoming dance. Make sure that your daughters are ready and they have their dress. Just little things like that. And then these are the people. This is who made their 50 free throws this week on their own and charted it. This is who's rocking it in the weight room with their maxes and just celebrate and put that information out there and do a little bit of a weekly newsletter leading up to the season starting. And then once you get into the season, being able to just keep that communication, have more face-to-face meetings. I think we rely so much on sports you email that sometimes we bypass the face-to-face which then makes the face-to-face encounter awkward sometimes at a game or in passing. So have another meeting preseason, maybe make sure you have something around Christmas time, do a, a parent appreciation so that you can show your parents that you appreciate them at a game and honor them, let them be on the court with their kids. So those are some of the ideas that I would have to honor or to recognize parents and then to, to be able to build that relationship with parents. Thank you for offering those. I think all those are great ideas and not necessarily uh, you need to do all. You can piecemeal things together as you get your footing and figure out what works for you and is authentic so that you can stay within that as you try to lead, right? So let's, let's pivot away from that for a second and 
let me ask this, right? How has your personal approach to coaching changed over the years? But more importantly, since you're in the seat of observation, what are some of the trends you have seen that have been successful in approach versus some of the ones that maybe need to be retired at this point? So I think the biggest one that comes to my mind when we talk about that is that coaches don't talk about playing time. Well, I grew up under the adage and, and, and people teaching me like playing times at the discretion of the coach. You don't meet about playing time. You don't talk about playing time. Let's be honest at this point, some of these kiddos have been playing their sports since they were six or seven years old. Their parents have coached them or you have parents who have been successful themselves in sport. And talking about playing time doesn't have to be a taboo or a bad thing. Just because you open up that conversation doesn't mean you're allowing the parent to come in and tell you how to play their kid or where, where to play their kid. Sometimes you can gain a lot of knowledge just from listening to parents and listening to what, they're, what they see or what they think is their kid's potential or, or their playing ability. And sometimes having those conversations and being able to say, okay, I hear what you're saying, but here's what I see in practice every day. These are the things that we're doing when we work on our defensive press and rotation, or when we're working on our individual offensive skills, here's the things that I see your child doing. And so I hear what you're saying, but I'm not seeing that in practice. So that's why we aren't seeing that in a game situation. And I think that is probably the biggest thing that I feel like um, and what I tell my coordinators and coaches now is talk to parents, listen to parents. You don't have to talk to about any other kid in the program. You don't have to explain to them, you know, why they got 16 minutes, but you need to tell them like, this is what I see from your kiddo in practice. This is what I'm seeing. Maybe it's something with grades, with tardies, be a, communicate and open yourself up for that communication. Because I feel like that is having them on board and being able to articulate to the parent what you're getting from the kid or what you're seeing and, and what your lens is on the ability will help in the long run for the kiddo and for the parent. Yeah. And I think I would add to that, invite them to practice, let them watch. It's <laughs> <laughs> hey, all you get to see is this. And my child's not getting a ton of playing time, so I don't get to evaluate it. We grew up in an era where that was a no, but hey, come on in, watch. You'll see what we, right? You, you, and it's, Absolutely. People are hesitant to do that. And my old athletic director years ago asked me, is like, what do you have to hide? Let them in. If they want to be there, ultimately their kid's not going to want them there anyway, but you might as well let them in and do see whatever it is that they're coming to see. So that ultimately That's when you do have conversations around it, you have a common thing to point to, so to speak. Any other thoughts on navigating those challenging parent conversations where the, the running joke is, right? You get these meetings scheduled that aren't about playing time, but ultimately it's a workaround to get back to talking about playing time. It's always about playing time. It's always about playing time. So you might as well just open it up and let's knock it out of the way and get all the fluff, leave all the fluff alone and just get down to what, what they really want to know. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's go to your district level responsibilities. I believe you told me there's an executive director, there's an athletic director, there's assistant athletic director, and there's a trainer. How does that all shake out organizationally 
and management wise at the district level, which then allows you to serve each of the site level schools? The way that we have been organized, the executive director is over the entire department. They're a part of the superintendent's cabinet and involved in those upper level administrative meetings at the at central office. The director of athletics has more of the day-to-day operational things that kind of manages our office, our weekly meetings, our support staff, administrative assistants, our bookkeeper. We also have an athletic coordinator that does a lot of our technology and our NFHS, Neptune, manages some stuff like that and then oversees that. For me, as the assistant athletic director, I manage a few responsibilities with the high school and then I'm over the middle schools. So I meet regularly with the middle school coordinators and then oversee their schedules, help them coordinate all their schedules, their transportation, those kind of things. And then I also oversee our special events, which we have back to school bash. We have a Toys for Tots big community service event. We have a signing, our national signing day event where we pull all of our high schools together in February. We have our coaches, a big coaches banquet at the end of the year. And then in the summer, we have a day of service where we plan a day of community service for all of our high school athletes uh, to go out and serve in the community. So I'm over those special events. Um, Our district trainer is over um, all of the safety So they're over all the safety components. Um, They manage all the coaches. The coaches, they have to be here in Texas. We have our UIL and they have to be registered and have RCP training. They have to have first aid and and CPR training. Um, They have to have their UIL acknowledgement of rules and those things. So the trainer Make sure all of the coaches have all those boxes checked, atavist tackling for football coaches. And then he also oversees um, some facility needs as far as safety and making sure that we have athletic trainers. We have athletic trainers on every campus, high school campus, but not at our middle school campus. But we have a really unique contract with one of our local hospitals and they give us so much money each year to contract out for third trainers that help cover like middle school football, extra things at the high school. And so he's in charge of managing the that and the staff and also meeting regularly with the high school trainers. So that's division of duties. Interesting. And something you said made me realize that your middle school programs operate a little differently in Texas, I would imagine. How robust are middle school interscholastic athletics in your district? And yeah. Okay. So we have um, seventh and eighth grade boys and girls athletics. So one is at the beginning, the first period of the school day, and the other one is the last period of the school day. We have 13 coaches on staff at each of our middle schools. We have seven boys coaches and six girls coaches. We justify extra boys coach just for football and for safety and for coverage because those are typically our largest programs when it comes to numbers. We field A, B, and C teams in our team sports, which are football, basketball, and football, volleyball, and basketball. And then we also run cross country. We run track. We have spring tennis, and we also have golf at our middle schools. One of the things we're trying to add and, and get added is middle school soccer. 
which we don't have yet, and but we hope to get that added very soon. And then we have anywhere from typically a, a boys athletic period at the middle school is going to have a little over 100 to 140-ish athletes per class, just depending on which school, which campus. Some of our campuses have a little bit higher enrollment than others, and the programs are a little bit larger. So, It's fascinating to me that you don't have middle school soccer, but you have middle school football. But then I realize you are in Texas. So it's not, it's expected and on brand, but uh, they also have middle school athletic PE, which is fascinating. Well, and I left off, we also have swimming and we have our own natatorium and we have middle school swimming that is year round. And we also have middle school tennis that happens at our high school campuses that are year round that's taught by our high school coaches. The commitment to having on campus faculty coaches is amazing, obviously. And it's something that would benefit everyone if that was the standard operating procedure for all school districts. But I imagine that the the union rules in different states allow you to do certain things that don't happen in other states. Um, Yeah, we know. I I, I feel like we are fortunate in Texas that our coaches have to be employed by the school district and, and teach and be a part of the staff on campus. Just because when you have that coach, for instance, the football coach and the culture that I made mention of, Our school day at our high school starts, the tardy bell rings at 725 and they release at 255. But that coach is going to be in the hallway of the campus at seven. He's going to be greeting his players. He's going to be making sure that they're walking in. They don't have their hoodies on and that they're going to their class and that they're on time and that they're not tardy. And then when they get out of their athletic period and they go to lunch, he or some of his staff, they're going to go up to the cafeteria. They're going to be present in the cafeteria and making sure that everybody's coming in, that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so having that presence, that constant presence on the campus throughout the day, I just think is a game changer. No doubt. And I'm as, as someone that's in athletics, if you had that number of coaches on your campus every day, navigating the hallways and dealing with the students, a lot of petty problems would go away. So it's impressive. That's the commitment that's made and that has been obviously invested in for a long time. Maybe some other states will take a cue at some point. Who knows? All right, let's wrap up with this. What is something you've most recently changed your mind on? And I usually ask this just as a growth mindset question, but hey, I used to be here and dug in pretty deep. And actually now I'm over here and here's why. Something I have changed my mind on. Purposefully, right? So in regards to, yeah, hey, you know what? I used to do X, Y, and Z. And after reflection, like that doesn't serve me anymore. So I'm over here, even though it goes counter to where you used to stand. And it doesn't have to be sports related. You know what? I I think, and this may just be my age or my years, but I think early on in my career and early on, especially when I first became a head coach, I did not always prioritize like family time or personal time. And maybe my family would say that I still don't, but I do feel like I have 
changed on that some, and I have gotten better to where I do take the opportunities to take a step back when the time I make time to take a step back and make time for things other than work. I love my work and I love what I do. I love my job. I love supporting coaches. I love supporting athletes. I love doing that. And I've always really worked hard at doing it. I would say I probably always haven't worked hard as making personal time or making time for to be able to tell my family, oh, yeah, I'm I'm not going to do this for work. I'm going to do this with the family instead. So I do think that's probably the one thing, especially coming off this holiday. I was able to do it a little bit more this holiday than what I've done in the past. And I do see the value in it. And so I do think that for young coaches and for coaches who are just getting started, like the work and the commitment, yes, it has to be there. But you also have to set aside your time, put your phone on, do not disturb, schedule purposeful time for your family or friends and checking in and just taking that step away and getting a little bit of, of your own time. Yeah, no, that's good advice. And I think, as you mentioned, you love what you do. And I think most coaches who are involved do. And so it doesn't feel like work and it's something that brings us joy, but often to the point you made, our families take the brunt of it because we're so invested in what we're doing that it's, oh yeah, you guys want to do something? Yeah, not today. I got practice. <laughs> uh, so all of you listening, figure out a way to keep them involved um, so that you don't have a uh, division there. Exactly. All right. Any parting thoughts before we go? I, I just think I am a firm believer that athletics, extracurricular, co-curricular activities, that they are so important to young people. And not every single kiddo that we come across is going to go on to be that division one professional athlete, but every single kiddo that walks into or athlete that comes into a program can take something away from being a part of athletics that's going to make them the best restaurant owner, lawyer, cook, mother, father that they can be. And the importance of what we do coaching sport and what we do coaching kids and building cultures and building teams and those kind of things, I think is some of the best foundation for young people that they can take into their lives, whatever they choose to do. And I think that's the other most positive thing about it is that being a part of athletics can help uh, a young person understand that they can go out and do whatever it is that they choose to do because they've been involved in something that has taught them that through hard work, that they can achieve goals, dealing with adversity, dealing with setbacks and just pushing through. And what we do is so important. And we just, I just want to encourage everyone to stay committed to it and to keep doing what you do every day and, and supporting kids. And if I can ever be a resource for anyone, I am ready and willing to do that. Lots of wisdom there. We'll drop your information in the show notes and people that want to reach out can. And I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today to, to put some of that wisdom that you've gleaned over the years out there for the rest of the world. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. As a coach, we are constantly trying to find the best products for our athletes to train and compete at their highest level. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your best. Plus, it has zero sugar, no artificial ingredients, and is gluten-free. 
with eight delicious flavors you are guaranteed to find one your taste buds will love. I know our athletes love the citrus salt. We keep a variety box in the office and our athletes stop by every day on their way to practice and games to load up. At this point, they won't even touch another electrolyte product. Without amazing products and sponsors like Element, our podcast would not be possible. Right now, when you click on our affiliate link and place your first Element order, Element will give us 100% commission. Last thing, Element might have the best return policy on the planet. If you don't love it, you'll be instantly refunded.